Greetings, rare ones, and welcome to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. I created this podcast because I was curious to learn about the startup ecosystems in developing countries. The Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast is where you will hear me have unique conversations with early stage startup founders, ecosystem builders, innovators, and investors from across emerging markets. It is an opportunity for all of us operating in these countries to learn, share, and exchange experiences beyond our borders. Although complex and varied, there are more similarities than differences in the narratives. If you're new, welcome. Rare ones come here to gain fresh perspective and insights into what is happening on the ground from the people who are creating shifts and driving the action. It is where they can connect through stories which are distinctive, honest, and relatable. Thanks for listening in, and I hope at the end, you feel compelled to join our growing global community of rare ones. Greetings, rare ones, and welcome back to the Rare Birds Emerging Markets Podcast with me, your host, Joanne A. Hamilton. And we are back with Series 9, Education and Adoption Blockchain in Africa. And we have arrived on the final episode of this series. So this is episode number 196, where you will hear me in conversation with our guest from Nigeria, Mr. Idowu Akinde. And the topic of our conversation is reimagine blockchain opportunities for Africa. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about Idowu. Idowu has a lot of uh, experience uh, working. Firstly, he started off his career in tech, and then he's later transitioned to the business side. And there's a lot in between, which you will hear us discuss in the podcast. But he's a founder, CEO. He's also a startup mentor and a coach. And he's involved with what he calls co-creation, which he talks about in the podcast. He's also a blockchain community developer. He's involved with the Hyperledger community. Um, he sits on boards. He's done a lot. So... I think um, this is a great way to wrap up this series because Idu has that rare combination of tech experience and business experience and corporate experience and startup experience and consulting experience. And there's just a, a lot that he brings to the table, a lot of perspective. And what I think you would appreciate and enjoy about this conversation is that, again, the title says reimagining, right? So... Um, some of it might sound a little bit far-fetched. That's okay. I think we need to allow for that. Some of it, for some, might sound a bit Pollyannish or a bit too futuristic. I think when it comes to new and emerging technologies, that happens, and we have to allow for that, and that's all a part of the conversation. So it's rethinking, it's reviewing, it's revisiting, it's all the re's that you can think about, redefining, and um, yeah, it's a, it's a conversation based on exploration, which is what we do a lot of in this podcast. So I hope you enjoy listening in and do stay tuned for the next installment of Conversations with Joanne, where I give a debrief of this series and I let you know what is coming next. So I really appreciate you listening in to all of the episodes. We started this in the summer 
and it is now officially autumn. And yeah, a lot has transpired, a lot of conversations. Please share these episodes with your friends, people who may be new to the technology, curious about the technology, um, or just trying to hear more conversations. All right. So as always, I will see you at the end. Bye for now. Welcome, ID, to the Rare Birds podcast. Hi, Joanne. Thank you very much. I'm so glad to have you on today as a part of this new series, Blockchain Education in Africa. So before we start our conversation, can you tell us a little bit more about you, who you are, and your story? All right. Um, uh, once again, thank you very much for the opportunity. Um, um, it definitely is a privilege to be here today. Um, well, I I like to I like to introduce myself right as a as a rehabilitated coffee junkie, if I may use that term, you know, uh, you, you know, in a semi-formal term. Of uh, course, because because many many years ago, um, well, to be precise, about 19 years ago, 19, 20 years ago, in the year 2000, when I started to program, I got so engrossed in it that I would stubbornly refuse to accept that there was any mental task or any cognitive challenge that I couldn't overcome. And if it meant taking coffee to stay awake for three days or five days, I would stay awake until I cracked down. You know, I remember that this was before the days of the Google, uh, uh, the major search engines and the internet that, that, that are so widely available today. So, um, you know, that's, that's the kind of background that I come from. I, I started off writing computer programs um, for all sorts of platforms. Back then, you didn't have the kinds of specializations that people have today. Um, so you did everything that needed to be done. You full stack developer, you were front end, back end, sysadmin, infrastructure designer and infrastructure maintainer. You know, um, web, desktop, uh, you know, all the platforms. Uh, but over the years, um, I have kind of evolved. Uh, if you think of technology and user, uh, consumption of user, uh, or rather, if you think of uh, a spectrum between technology and products, okay? Products referring to the, the, the way end users use technology without understanding the internal mechanics, right? Uh, I think I have gradually moved away from the core technology end toward the product end, such that these days, businesses and non-techies tend to trust me with the with their business imperatives and their business, uh, you know, deadlines, and trust that I can help them organize the technological concerns, whether it's a technology team or it's a technology infrastructure investment or something, they seem to, you know, uh, trust me to be the brief. One context can speak the business language, the boardroom language, and in another context can walk into a help organize that room of geeks and help them perform at their maximum. So that's pretty much uh, I come today. Sometimes that can be a developer advocate role. Sometimes it can be a technology manager, coach, 
or technology coach or a product coach role. But essentially at the end of the day, I guess that bridging is the core of what I do nowadays. Bridging between businesses who um, businesses who users who use the technology on one end and on the other end, the technology geeks that make the technology. So uh, I know I've spoken a lot, but I thought that, that would be a brief introduction to that's why you're here, ID, to talk a lot. <laughs> That's why you're on the podcast. So you transitioned from being the tech guy to now being the guy that is building the bridge between the business and the tech, right? So how, how did you make that transition? How did that happen over time? I say that because not a lot of people know can do that or know how to do that. I mean, if we look just mm. using blockchain as an mm. example, you you now have people or persons such as blockchain solutions architects, architect, and you have mm. blockchain solutions specialists, for example. And these are people that came from a tech background, but they recognize that there was a gap or there's an opportunity, wh what have you, et cetera. And, and, they, and they make that shift. But generally, that doesn't happen. Most tech people stay within, within the tech realm, and then you have the business people on the outside. So how did you manage to make that transition? Was it a seamless, easy transition? Actually, um, uh, but I guess I, I needed to be nudged, OK? A little bit of it might have come from my genes, right? You know, my parents. Um, my dad is a well, is uh, a businessman of considerable repute, you know, locally here. So um, that's always been business has always been in my genes. In my university days, I did a lot of you know uh, what you might call PP, private practice, you know, or business, you know, um, uh, you know, making money just to have always have change, you know, always have pocket money. Mm. Um, um, uh, but, but that's one side. The other side of the transition is that the plus for the transition is um, many, I guess that, you know, unknown to me at the time, uh, my, my dedication to my work, especially, you know, you know given the fact that I just, I, I just didn't know how to say that I don't know how to do something. You know, it, it could, it, nowadays, I've, I've become very conversant with uh, the aspect of that that can be a negative attribute, meaning the ability to say no to certain things. But back in, back, back in those days, it was a strength because it helped me to persevere, you know, despite the challenge. I think that the, the people who paid my salaries, the employers and the, and the people who I, who I reported to saw this trait in me quickly promoted me to leadership positions. So positions that typically would take, for instance, manager, managerial slash team leadership positions in my own career trajectory that typically would have taken others maybe 10 years. I think that I, 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 I got to some of those positions earlier as three to four years, you know, so mm. um, uh, that's part of it, you know. So that kind of push helped me to start to appreciate that, hey, Beyond the technical and the uh, the technical excellence, right? Beyond the beyond the attention to details, there is also something called a, a, a bird's eye view, okay? And also, you know, other perspectives to 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 life, you know, beyond the technical perspective. So, um, I think it was those 
I think that those are the two influences that, that, that shaped my transition. Excellent. So you were able to, to jump into, into roles that you weren't, probably today someone would say you're not particularly ready for it just because you, you didn't have this concept of, I can't do it. You just kind of jump right in and you, and you got to it and whatever, you worked it out as you went along. One of my former employees, deep end of the pool, he used to say that, hey, um, that he used to say that he would drop us in the deep end of the pool and we would either sink, okay, you know, meaning, meaning, meaning or, or referring to the concept that he didn't think that it was necessary. Well, that doesn't mean that he didn't give support or training, but I guess if you really, really want to do something and you put your mind to it, jump into the pool. Uh, 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 you can massage your ego. You can say a lot of things about how this is not ready, that is not in place. Really, really want to get something done. Jump into the deep end of the pool. You will figure, as you as you said, you. So the term I wanted to bring up was uh, uh, jumping into the deep end of the pool. <laughs> yeah, no, that's the best way to learn because it's it's never going to be perfect. You just kind of have to. That's how you learn. That's the best way to grow. I think just just go in. Actually, yes. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you what do you do now in your day-to-day -day life? You have your own business? Okay, yes, I do run a, a consultancy, a private consultancy uh, called Boolean Labs. Uh, and we're at Boolean Labs, B-O-O-L-E-A-N, Labs, L-A-B-S dot I-O. Um, we are a, a co-creation studio, okay? And by that, I mean we, we help entrepreneurs uh, who are trying to build technology products by hand-holding them in the creation of those technology products. Um, I have a team of tech experts who are equally as passionate about technology as I am. Um, and essentially, the unique uh, value proposition that we bring to the table is the ability to move beyond the rhetoric, right? So um, uh, the observation I have made, right, uh, uh, having worked with many uh, startup ecosystem and startup support uh, communities, is that right now in the world, right now uh, uh, across the world, there's a lot of advice, a lot of theory, a lot of prose advice available for founders. In fact, I think that founders right now are going through what you call expert fatigue because there are all sorts of experts that advise them on a daily basis but many mm. times there's often especially for tech founders there's often a scarcity of what you might call hands-on coaching right which is you know hand which is hand holding hand holding uh, people and technology uh, entrepreneurs through the process of product design product development technology implementation and then post-implementation support of technology and product as the case may be. So that's what we do at the house. Wow. So at, right now, how many startups are you working with or are you supporting with with your, as you describe it, as hands-on coaching? I like that. Yeah, hands-on coaching slash cooperation. I like uh, that. Right now we have about, right now we have about seven. Uh, okay. We're rapidly growing. We signed one up yesterday. Uh, mm -hmm. in, Paper, the legal paperwork came in the mail yesterday. So um, it, again, hey, uh, but right now we have about seven of them that we're, that we're working with. And so far it's been an exciting journey. 
And how many of them are working on blockchain products? Uh, three of them are working on blockchain products. Nice. Okay. So perfect segue into our conversation on blockchain itself. So I'm going to begin with a question because everything begins with asking the right questions. Do you know who said that? Hmm, I do not. I'd like to learn. Simon Simic. Everything oh, begins with why and asking the right oh. questions. Is he your friend? Can you yes. introduce me to him? I can get him on the podcast. That was an ambitious statement. That was a statement of future, future, what do you call it now? Future situation, future tense. <laughs> I'm I mean, but ahead. I follow him. I like his, I like Yo, his perspective on life. As, so, as do I, as do I. He's brilliant. Okay, so here's the question. If you could rebuild, let's say, the African continent, because that's what we're talking about, how would you do it using blockchain technology? Hmm. Okay, so Joe, I'm going to tell you something straight up. Tell I me. like that question. I Thank like, you. I, in, fact, in fact, I think that I love that question. I love so that I'm you love big it. On, I'm, big on, <laughs> I'm big on the quality of questions, right? Okay. Um, um, many of the founders that I've worked with will tell you that I keep, that I, that is something that I say, which is the quality of the question determines the quality of the answer. Uh, in other words, the quality of the villain in a in a in a comic book character in a comic book right. determines the quality of the hero. The quality of the challenge determines the quality of the solution. Uh, okay. I like your question because it it taps into the imagination. And uh, again, let me throw a teaser back at you. Um, I, uh, Albert Einstein said, "Imagination is more important than knowledge." Okay. Okay. Uh, because. Uh, your question taps into the part of my brain or my uh, consciousness, my entity, that's, that, that, that wants to create an alternative reality, right? An alternative, an alternative, that wants to imagine what would an alternative reality for Africa would look, uh, uh, look like and stuff like that. So um, um, to, to, to your point, right. I think that um, in order to well, imagining what, what Africa would look like if I were to recreate the continent. Well, that's, that's quite big, okay? I know, um, we, gotta start, we gotta start from the basics. We gotta start with foundation, yeah, yeah. right? Because yeah. let, okay, you see, let, let's put this in context, okay? If okay. we were having this conversation in the Western world, we wouldn't be asking mm -hmm. that we would not be asking how we could rebuild because those those western countries have what we call legacy systems right so the mm -hmm. conversation would we it would be very different but we're talking mm -hmm. about the african continent which we know ha has 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 some has had some issues and to some res in some respects it's good because there's a, a blank canvas right that you can start with so mm -hmm. if you wanted to rebuild considering that you have perhaps not so much there, how would you do it? Because then you could build something sustainable, something equitable, something fair. You could completely reimagine this thing very different to what you have now. So putting that in context, how would you rebuild? I mean, where would you start? How do you, how do you build a society? You need institutions, right? You begin. Oh, where would you begin? So tell me, where would you begin? Okay. Okay. So 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 if I can, 
I'm trying not to overanalyze this, right? Um, Please overanalyze but have, it. But I have, <laughs> I have certain dimensions in mind. As you were okay. talking, I was, I was noting down four dimensions. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that those major dimensions would be uh, four dimensions of infrastructure that are currently, right now, at least, you know, uh, obvious to both of us, right now, missing. The first dimension is the physical infrastructure. Second is technological infrastructure. Third is social infrastructure, you know, referring to welfare and stuff like that. And the fourth is economic infrastructure. Um, so I think that the, the substrates upon which all of them, you know, kind of, kind of come about, right, is the social infrastructure. So if we start from there, I, to answer your question directly, I think I will start from some, whatever is the equivalent of a system of record. I think that, you know, uh, in order to properly answer this question, I'm imagining myself teleporting, or, you know, in a time machine, and mm -hmm. I'm going back to, I'm going back to, well, maybe not 2,000 years, maybe, maybe 1,000 years, or maybe, maybe six, 600, 700 years back. Uh, nice. Back in okay. Time. okay. Okay. So, what was happening so back then in Nigeria? or in, in throughout Africa generally. There were kingdoms, oh, well, right? So I'm not, yes, thank you, there were kingdoms, okay? So I'm, mm -hmm. not, a, I'm not an expert on, on, on history, but mm -hmm. at least there were kingdoms uh, yet to be colonized. Mm -hmm. uh, empires. And, and to a relative, to a rel yes, empires, and to a relative degree, many of them peacefully cohabited, right? Of sure. Of course, there be a few squabbles here and there, but I'm sure they peacefully cohabited and, 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 um, and that was fine. I think that the first thing I would do, if I could do that, would be to sell to those societies the concept of a system of record. And mm. as I'm saying this to you, a certain light bulb is lighting up in my head mm. about how the concept of blockchain being a system of record that introduces certain advantages itself would, you know, be the perfect thing to introduce. Okay. Okay. Right. So, whatever. I think that I think that the very the very fundamental thing that 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 need that will need to be done is to introduce that system of record. What would that system of record do? It will establish a universal quote unquote language or a universal means of communicating uh, well ideas, concepts, and in some cases documentations of history. So if you on top of that equitable, fair, using your word, equitable, fair, sustainable uh, system of record, we hmm. could then start to build systems like, do, do we need to find a, 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 well, well, a, a, a commonly agreed financial system of record, aka financial ledger? Mm -hmm. Do we need a ledger for the way we grow, harvest, sell, store and generally manage our agriculture our crops okay do you understand so so that's yeah. one finance, financial financial sector is one agri sector is one mm -hmm. we need a system of record that helps us capture the learnings of our native doctors okay yes the things that I've i was observed, gonna say that, that i was gonna say that and beautiful. your stories i was gonna say that because one of the things that 
people often say about the continent is that there's not a lot of documentation of history the way Europeans have, because in Africa it's more oral. So what if you could have like a social ledger that keeps all the culture and the social and you know, you, yeah, you write it down and you put it in there. Yes, of course. Mm. I like your term social ledger and I think I'm going to write it down. Write it down. I write it down. (laughs) And I'll give you credit if I use it in any of my articles. Thank you so much. (laughs) I'm sure other people have coined it though. I've said it, but yeah, like a social ledger would be, but you, but going back to what you said. So for the doctors, like the healers, the Mm -hmm. doctors. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. That's good. I like that. So, so I was going to reference, I'm going to take a quick digression and reference a personal um, story that I have about this healthcare. Um, my, 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 my security guard okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. got into a, an accident, a, a motorbike accident that affected his, his leg. Okay. Um, the leg was broken and it took, and, and we took it to the Orthodox hospitals in my state, in Nigeria, in Lagos state. Mm-hmm. And it was confirmed that nothing could be done about that leg. He could only manage it to limp for the rest of his life. Mm. His father, uh, uh, when he called his father, who was up north in, in, his, uh, 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 in their village somewhere in the north of Nigeria, his father disagreed with that prognosis, of, sorry, that diagnosis, and said, please come home, we will fix your leg. He went home and uh, for about eight months, I didn't see him. One day he calls me and he says, he's back in Lagos. And I say, how's your leg? He says, you need to see me, sir. He comes around and he, if you see him today, if I don't tell you about this incident, you will never know because he doesn't live. He doesn't have a leg. Now, mm. the point I'm trying to make is there are certain, there are certain artifacts or nuggets or tidbits of knowledge that have not been captured by, excuse me, uh, uh, excuse my term, Western ledgers, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but are very valid because they have circumstances in which they work. Mm. Hey, hey, I'm not saying that, I'm not saying that uh, uh, the rigor to which uh, people put um, um, uh, theories and other postulations before they get accepted into the body of science under the Western model, I'm not attacking that. That's a very beautiful model. For verifying that before before the public accepts anything as as a science because i've passed through a lot of rigorous uh, review and stuff like that that's fine but there's also a lot of stuff that is left out from africa to asia to many other places around the world that are not in those western ledgers but are valid points so my point about those doctors and and and, and the ancient african healthcare system is to again as an extension of that basic system of record, universal system of record that I will introduce, have a, and, and in addition to the financial ledger and the agricultural ledger, have a healthcare ledger, something that helps us keep track of um, what are the specific types of herbs that yeah. are useful for specific types of ailments or specific types of, you know, as the case may be, physical wounds or, you know, uh, uh, incisions on the skin and stuff like that, you know, ailments generally. Uh, so, so, so that happens. Uh, we also hear about how there's a there's a certain folklore that one of the that uh, how do I put this? Uh, so I'm so I'm Yoruba. Okay, my tribe is the Yoruba tribe. Yeah. Um, 
there is a certain lady somewhere in Abekuta, one of the ancient queens of, or something like that, okay, in Abekuta. In Abekuta. Okay. Abekuta is one of the one of the ma one of the major ancient towns in, in, in the Yoruba kingdom or in Yoruba. Okay. Land. okay. Uh, there's a certain there's a certain folklore that her that she is one of the prime candidates for the for the Queen of Kiba according to the to the popular Bible, biblical history. Okay. Uh, well, whether that is true or not, I imagine that another possible sector that could benefit from the system of record is immigration. Okay. Mm. People, immigration and trade. Okay. Movement. Do people, mm -hmm. Yes, thank you. How do people move across these kingdoms and empires that we mentioned? From the Yoruba kingdom to the Benin kingdom to the Mali kingdom to the to the Zulu kingdom to the Ashanti kingdom, how do people move across these places? What are how do they how do they move? How do they settle? How do they become dwellers you know, in all of these places? And what are the what are the significant epochs in their lives that need to be recorded? I mean, all of this. So I think that the basic thing that I would I think that that the the major thing that I would pay attention to, if given the opportunity to uh, like you said, go back in time and recreate the African, uh, create African history, is to sell to those ancient African societies the value, the benefits of the concept of a system of record. Okay, mm. um, and in there, I, I think we can start to talk about um, um, uh, blockchain and how that could be one of the most efficient and productive uh, systems of record. That is so powerful, ID. <laughs> you know what? You know what? You can add to that too. No, not at all. Not at all. Land titles, because there's always uh, uh, awesome. issues around land, right? As well. Disputes around land ownership. Yeah. So you could yeah. you could put that in there too. So you would go back in time, but you said something interesting. You would have to gain buy-in. So you'd have to talk to, I guess it would be, you know, these empires, they would have their rulers and so on. How yes. would you gain buy-in yes. from them? How would you get them to buy into this idea of this ledger? How would that work? Oh well, well, I guess I guess um I guess I'll have to borrow a bit from the future, right? Since I'm mm -hmm. going back in time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so part of the work that I do right now is agile coaching. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, one of the one of the one of the competencies of an agile coach is, uh, well, it's a, it's akin to salesmanship, but it's more of influence. It's called the servant leader concept. It's mm. the ability to lead people without authority. Yeah. Okay. One of yeah. the central tenets of an agile coach, in fact, one of the requirements to becoming an agile coach is to have been a scrum master. And the definition of a scrum master is someone who leads a team without any authority. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm calling on this to highlight a certain point. Point. In order to achieve such, uh, in order to achieve success in such a difficult endeavor. Uh, I've, I've, I've learned of a certain framework, and it's called the influence, interest versus influence framework. Okay. I would first of all, for every being, for every human being on the face of this planet, right? Okay. That has an influence on either my work or that I want to influence uh, how they work. The first, the first question that I must always ask is, what are their interests? What is it that that person or that group of people or that tribe 
or that class of people, that team of people, that organization, what are their common, what, what is their interest, what are they trying to achieve, what, and, and what do they want to get out of that thing that they want to achieve. If I can understand, as much as they understand it, at that level of perception, if I can understand what their interest is, and I can build in things that guarantee that, that, that their interest will be satisfied into what I'm selling, then I, then, the most, then I have dramatically increased my chances of success. So if I can borrow that from the future and take that, and take that back 700 years into the past, I would say that I would study those emperors, okay, in this case, and kings. Okay. Uh, and stick to understand what makes them tick. What are they trying to achieve? Are they, are they interested in the welfare of kingdoms? Then I need to, um, quote-unquote, package these systems of record that we've spoken about in terms of the benefits to them and to the welfare of their kingdoms and, and, and show them how, if you take this step now and implement this system of record, 900 years into the future, you will be one of the, your name will be one of the most powerful names in history. Uh, your, your, your legacy will be one of the most powerful legacies. Your, your how do I put it? Your, you know, you know, uh, 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 welfare and other aspects of your society, of the societies that you govern, will be so much more, you know, better managed and stuff like that. Does that make Absolutely. some sense? Absolutely, that makes a lot of sense. But this is very, you're, you're assuming, so are you then making the assumption that those guys were ahead of their time? So they, they'd be able to, this would be able to work? Hmm. Well, Hey, 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 I just... Anything's possible. Whichever way it goes, whichever way it goes, yeah. Okay, possible. so brilliant. So that's where we start. So then from there, you mentioned the... Let me see if I remember the four areas. You said physical, technical, social, economic. That was the social yes. part mostly, right? So then from there, yes. how, how would you then... Okay, what would be... What would be the major pillar underpinning your value system because when you're rebuilding a society from the ground up you need mm. some you need some pillars you need some values if we're talking about blockchain mm. that means this has to be trust we can't have a trust deficit and that's a big problem mm. right trust deficit mm. people don't trust mm. each other they don't trust systems institutions politicians so what would be the pillars for for the society How okay so um so obviously you've mentioned one and probably the most important, um, uh, which is trust, okay? Uh, definitely, 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 there's no building, there's no society that can, that can expect to make significant advances without, you know, having a, without establishing as a foundational pillar some trust, okay? Um, definitely, 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 that's, that is important. Uh, I think next to that is the concept of equality. Okay, um, Western societies may have may have publicized the notion of equality of citizens. Okay, uh, uh, in modern times, but there are there are pointers, for instance, to certain African kingdoms, certain ancient African kingdoms, that point to similar concepts around equality, around democracy, democratic processes, where there is no 
For instance, the Igbo, the ancient Igbo, Igbos of Nigeria, okay, I'm not Igbo, but the ancient Igbos of Nigeria have been said to have operated a, a, highly, dem, a, highly, well, a highly sophisticated democratic system such that okay. they, te they technically do not have any kings, but they have a system, something like a council of, a council of chiefs, where they have, they have, they don't have a king per se, but they have a way of arriving at consensus, you know, and generally agreeing on what to do. And it comes out of a, out of a regard, a, a, a if I may use the term fundamental concept of equality of, you know, equality of rights, equality of status for everybody. Uh, uh, so that's the next thing. I don't know if I'm using the right words, but yeah. next to trust, I would definitely use uh, something akin to equality. I think that that would be the next value. Okay. Um, for now, the, for now, those are the two that just uh, 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 at the tip of my tongue. Uh, if I okay. remember any other one, as we discuss along. Uh, That's fine. So then, how? What about education? I'm thinking. Okay, I'm thinking education, healthcare, and uh, public in other public institutions. Okay, okay. So, so, so I think that I think that uh, we've kind of dovetailed into institutions, right? Mm -hmm. So having having established what the pillars, as you said, what the pillars representing the values that hold the entire society are trust, equality, and any others that we that, that we highlight as important. On top of those pillars, we can then start to build institutions. So again, those right. institutions will, will from time to time reference. Um, um, the systems of record that we discussed earlier. So when you take education, for instance, education, for instance, mm -hmm. education systems, you know, uh, 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 like I always used to say, my grandmother was illiterate, but she was a very, very educated woman. You know, if you mm. know her, you'd, you'd, you'd agree with me. Okay. Um, so, so definitely, definitely those, those, those systems, how are people, how do, we, how do we pass on knowledge from one generation to the other? Right. How do we maintain the the, the, the ancient equivalent of, of today's R and D labs, R and D studios, the people who are explorers by nature, the people who can carry out uh, experiments by nature? For instance, there is some, there's some, uh, there's some, uh, what's the word? There's some buzz right now about the 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 possibility that vaccines may have been invented in West Africa. Meaning, mm. that, meaning that, yes, I've, I've, I've read a few articles about that, pointing to the fact that there's a possibility that ancient, Af ancient West Africans studied how mosquitoes were able to use some kind of syringe-like device and use it to extract uh, uh, fluids out of our body, aka the blood that they suck, and thought that, hey, if you can do this, can we therefore also, quote unquote, inject medicine or medicinal stuff into a sick person? And I think that they were able to uh, invent some of these things. You know, there's some article that I've read. If I can reference it after this podcast, I can share with you. Uh, oh. uh, but but there's but there's a possibility. Again, I'm I'm I'm, I'm not making any huge unfounded claims here. I just said there's a possibility that because I've read the article, you know, and it comes to that. You know, so 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 for instance. You, 
you know, you can imagine, you can really, really imagine a rich, vibrant, robust, you know, exciting ancient African society where, mm. regardless of what exists today, if we could go back and redesign those those societies or those systems, we would have, we would we could we could infuse a really 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 uh, robust education system into those societies. So so what have I said about education? One is the transfer of knowledge from generation to generation. Mm-hmm. Two, the two is the support and uh, stimulus needed to needed to encourage homegrown. Um, R&D, research and development. So whether it's uh, people that people that just think that there's a certain new combination of herbs or herbs, barks or substances or powders or, you know, whatever it is, you know, substances, natural substances uh, uh, and combine them in new ways and, and, and experiment, you know, and see, see what the results are. You know, uh, 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 we can definitely um, work with those ancient societies to see how they can pay attention to those things. My goodness. And this, I mean, just if, I mean, we could go on with this conversation for hours and hours looking at like yes, each industry. Yes, I mean, we definitely could. Yes, and, and, and it would be amazing. But ultimately, here's what, well, now here's what I'm thinking. If this was in place uh, many eons ago, the continent mm-hmm. would look very different to how it, how it, how it looks today, right? I think so, too. It would look very, very different. It would be very different. There would be no, there would be no, uh, in, there would there would be no sort of like the legacy systems that I that I mentioned that you have in the West. It would just all yes. be a high tech, a high tech society. Are we talking like Wakanda here? It'd be like Wakanda. You stole that word from my mouth. I was about to say another Wakanda. <laughs> Seriously. But putting everything in perspective, this is what the future could be like if the continent and your country, for example, Nigeria, where you're from, mm-hmm. embrace this mm-hmm. technology, right? Precisely. So so Precisely. we've gone into the we've gone into the past. We're in the spread present, mm-hmm. but we're actually talking about what the future could look like. It is very futuristic, but it's real. It's not Wakanda. It's real, and it could actually happen. It is. It does. It can. It's, it's real. It is mm-hmm. real, and it can happen. So, but what do you see is the biggest challenge for adopting this technology throughout the continent, continent-wide. I mean, we know some of the obvious mm-hmm. ones, polit- polit- like mm-hmm. political leadership and and mm-hmm. and interest. so on and so forth, and interest and corruption, mismanagement. I mean, we know poor infrastructure, blah, blah, blah. We know all of those, but going deeper, like going much deeper, right? What do you mm-hmm. think, and if you want to just make it personal about your own country, that's fine too, but what do you think is, <laughs> is the biggest, <laughs> the biggest challenge? Uh, so, so I think, so I have a slightly, slightly um, divergent, slightly unique, slightly creative uh, take on, 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 on this topic. Okay. So I've, 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 often, I've often expressed that if you look at the trend, right, if you look at the way uh, younger people, millennials, centennials, and the, the upcoming generations, are responding to the environment around them. Mm. You notice that they are they seem more disposed to to 
more socially inclined economic systems than the capitalist, the, the, than the pure capitalist inclined. And I'll explain. I'm going to. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, for instance, I've always wondered, and I think I expressed this in one of my social media posts just out of curiosity some time ago or a year ago, that what would the future look like in terms of one, cross-border immigration, two, um, um, transportation, public transportation, and so on and so forth, 70 years, 100 years from now, when people like me are gone and buried, and mm. it is the next generation that are in charge. If you look at the way they, they adopt models like the Uber model for everything from transportation, where they are not so much interested in owning cars, and I wonder if it's an age bracket thing and if they will outgrow it, but, it, but, but just taking it off the off chance that they will not outgrow it. If they sustain this kind of trend throughout their lives, then, then society in the future might look significantly different from what it looks like today, where we are, where, 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 where our parents and us have, have invested in ownership of assets. You know, I own this house, I own this car or cars, I own X, Y, Z, okay? And there are millions and literally billions of people that each own what they own. If you look at if you look at what these young people are doing nowadays, when they are the when 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 they are the ones in charge of society, I wonder if society will look like the Uber model. So I'm saying, mm. does it mean that by that time, very few people, if any at all, will own cars exclusively? Does mm. it mean that cars will cars will be like cars will be like a utility that you can just use on demand? And mm. does that apply for everything else? Okay, from phones to the internet to you know, I don't know, I don't know how far we can push this. And I and I and I and I highlighted this concept to kind of answer the question that you asked around um, uh, what could be the major obstacle to to redesigning the continent right now. Mm -hmm. I think the major obstacle that I see is is the potential for young people today that are growing up on the continent to mm. inherit the negative values that their parents and political leaders of today and in the past have mm. espoused. Mm. If, they can, if they can somehow somehow not inherit, <laughs> somehow escape inheriting those, those values around selfishness, corruption, greed, um, uh, me, myself, and I, uh, as opposed to having a communal mindset and Ubuntu mindset, uh, if they can imbibe, if they can escape inheriting those values, I mm. think that Africa will look very, very much different. For instance, if you look at the quality of ideas and startup ideas that are coming up nowadays, you just wonder where do these young people get these ideas? You know, mm. and you're like it's, like, it's like they don't even care for themselves, but they care about the community. Right. They haven't been corrupted. You know? So, so for me, I think that the potential for them to be corrupted by by greed, you know, you know, their forebears, you know, our generation, the generation for us, are the is is the single for me is the largest um, is the single largest uh, obstacle that I that I can think of.
that's a really that's a really interesting point and like you said it's a different perspective because i don't think i've ever heard i've heard that expressed before but not with respect to the question that i asked but it's so important okay. because i think it's easy to look around you as a young person and see what's happening and just decide that you're going to be like everyone else mm, it is it is actually it is yeah, but okay. So carrying along on, on that thought, are you optimistic then about the future? Do you think the next generation are going to take the baton and go off in a in a different path? And you would know because you work with a lot of you work with a lot of young people. <laughs> That's your thing. Yeah, yeah. 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 I actually do. I do. I do think so. I do think that um both locally, I'll, I'll reference the local environment in my society. If you remember the NSARS move, movement uh, yes, yes. Uh, that we had uh, yes. late last year, I think that I uh, uh, I think that there have been there have been a few. Of course, that was a precipitation point, but there 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 are just a few pointers that that anyone who who settles down and studies these gen, these generations very well will see that. They look like they look like they will have the courage to reject what they should reject when they come to be in the helm of affairs. I think mm, so. I am, yeah. I am optimistic about their generations. Well, I will say I am very optimistic because of this technology that we're talking about. And I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you for navigating this question with me. If you could build <laughs> Africa rebuild Africa from the beginning, how would you do it using blockchain? And you gave a very detailed and elaborate answer. And I loved how you went back into the past because that's really where everything begins. That's Thank really where everything begins. I hope begins. I wasn't too imaginative or too up in my head. You know, but, not yeah, at all. I mean, this this is about reimagining entire systems. Okay, so yes, and I think anyone who understands this technology well is probably asking themselves that question as well. I think perhaps mm. it's something you even ask the startups to do as you co-create with them because you're just mm. taking things from from your from your mind and bringing them to life. That's that's what entrepreneurs do. It's all imagination. So if we don't have any imagination then how are we going to make any how are we going to make any changes how are things going to be any different so this is the point so what closing words would you like to share with us just about about this technology about blockchain and about ed blockchain education what do people need to do how do people educate themselves empower themselves and how do people get involved to ensure that when because it's it's coming this entire Let's call mm -hmm. it a movement, it technological technological movement. It is here already, and it has already been here, mm -hmm. but it's it's coming yeah. even more and more now. How do what do they need to do? How how do they get involved? And what closing words would you like to share with them? Okay, so I think um, uh, well, uh, I'll start off on an informal note. Uh, I'll say. Yes. The first thing they need to do is that they need to go to LinkedIn, search for my name, Ido Wakinde, and follow me and send me a connection request. <laughs> Don't mind me. I'm just All right. Uh, shameless plug. Yes, well done. Yeah, shameless, okay. shameless, shameless. Good, good, right, good. So, yes. So I, so I, um, I, I'm a community advocate for 
uh, an enterprise blockchain consortium called Hyperledger. Okay, mm -hmm. Hyperledger is pushing for the the adoption of blockchain in the enterprise. And if you think about the word enterprise, it cuts across all sectors. It's right. enterprise essentially means business in all sectors. Okay, right. uh, uh, so so so. So, so what we're doing at Hyperledger is that we're, we're pushing, we're evangelizing for people to think seriously about blockchain adoption beyond cryptocurrencies and yeah. in everything from like we described in that fictional scenario in, the, in, the, in, in 700 years ago, yeah. uh, 700 years into the past, in every, all, the, all the systems of record that currently exist across healthcare, immigration, financial services, mineral extraction, agriculture, trade, land ownership, education, identity management. If there is any system of record that exists, mm. is there a way that we can build it and build it such that trust, security, and fault tolerance are automatically built into it? Then mm. that is automatically, those are the guarantees that blockchain gives you. you know, right. Again, trust, uh, security and uh, fault tolerance, you know, uh, 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 um, and an architectural system that 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 ab initial that that from the beginning uh, has fault tolerance. If one node goes down, the network is still alive. You know, uh, right. uh, 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 that's that's what I would say. So so I would say for for everybody on the continent, on the African continent. Um, Pay a little more attention uh, to, to to blockchain. It doesn't have to be hyperledger, but at least some kind of blockchain that will work for your enterprise. Again, a lot of people also misunderstand blockchain to equal crypto. Blockchain yeah. is not crypto, and crypto is not blockchain. It's the not. relationship between blockchain and crypto, like I always say, is like the relationship between whatsapp on your phone and the ios operating system on your phone or the android operating system as the case may be on your mm. phone the operating system is blockchain uh whatsapp is a, an application just one application that that leverages the facilities available in that operating system you can right. have many other applications there's skype excuse me there's zoom there's all sorts of applications that you can deploy on top of that operating system so if blockchain is the operating system you can deploy healthcare systems on it you can deploy financial systems on it aka crypto you can deploy trade systems on it aka supply chain you know mm. all sorts of things you know so 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 that's also important that's a, that, that's another point that i'd like to highlight um, uh, absolutely because so there's a lot of confusion <laughs> people hear crypto and they think blockchain people hear yes. blockchain there's there's a lot of confusion there but that that's that's a whole other conversation about financial services that we we won't get into but thank you so much id and before you go where can we find you please give us all of your okay. details your website your <laughs> your twitter your linkedin your everything so people can come find okay. you okay okay so so right now i'm active on two platforms um mm -hmm. uh uh, I'm about to disappoint you and say that I'm not yet on Instagram, but hopefully sometime That's for okay. the next week, I'll okay. be on Instagram. <laughs> uh -huh. I'm active on okay. LinkedIn and Twitter. Okay. Okay. Uh, okay. On LinkedIn, if you just search for my name and my first name, my name, my first name and my last name, Akinde, you'll find me. Uh, I should be recognizable, <laughs> you know, and you, yeah. and you can send active that I use is Twitter. Okay. okay. So that's just 
my first name and my last name put together without the space, Iduwakinde, as one word. You okay. Combine them together and search for me on Twitter, you'll find me. Uh, from there, I'm also on places like Medium and uh, uh, where I write articles. I have a YouTube channel. Okay. Uh, it's also it's also Iduwakinde. Medium is also Iduwakinde, one word. Okay. Uh, you can find me in, in, in those places. Brilliant. Thank you so much again for sharing your time and your wisdom and your depth of knowledge and experience with us, dear rare ones. I hope that uh, I was able to add some value. Yes, you did. Until next time, guys. Bye for now. Thanks for joining us. This is an original Rare Birds HQ creation. It was produced by Rare Birds HQ and is meant for informational purposes only. If you enjoyed today's show, let me know by writing a review and do share it with your friends. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe to receive the weekly podcast newsletters, weekly news, and of course, more podcasts. Do visit the website at www.rarebirdshq.com. Until next time, rare ones, bye for now.